Welcome back to the Academy Table. I'm Renee De Silva, CEO of the Academy and your host. In this episode, I welcome Roxana Gapster to the table. Roxana is president and CEO of Wellspan Health, located in South Central Pennsylvania. It was great to hear from Roxana on so many of the important topics impacting healthcare today. In our time together, we covered reimagining care delivery, improving the patient experience, establishing successful partnerships, and building a pipeline of women leaders. Roxana's insights across the conversation are worth your attention, but here are my key takeaways. First, I appreciated Roxana's thoughts on all things patient experience. A core part of WellSpan's brand promise is the relentless pursuit of consumers and patients. And that commitment really comes through as Roxana explains how providers and consumers perceive true access to care quite differently. Next, Roxana shared great thoughts on successful partnerships. Beyond aligning on values and the problems to be solved, she believes that customers, in this case providers, should be a good partner by proactively helping to improve the product and sharing the value with others. I know that these types of relationships are something we look to foster in the Academy's community, and it was great to hear how that's come to life for her. And lastly, Roxana is one of the few health system or even healthcare CEOs with a nursing background. She believes that that will change in the future as the pipeline of clinical leaders serving in non-clinical roles continues to grow. In that spirit, she shared some of WellSpan's internal development frameworks really designed to help on that issue. So with that, let's head to the table. Roxana, welcome to the table. So happy to have you here this afternoon. Thank you, Renee. I'm delighted to be here with you. So I want to start uh, with a question that was asked of me recently. And, I, and so I'm stealing the question from a colleague. But it is, when you think about the leadership role that you're in today, would you consider yourself an intentional or accidental leader? Great question. Uh, I would consider myself an accidental leader. My journey began as a patient care nurse in a hospital many years ago, and I had never imagined at that point that I would move beyond taking care of patients. So the the fact that I am uh, today a CEO of a health, health system, you know, seems unusual to me right now. If I look back at that very first year that I was a nurse, it certainly wasn't something that I was thinking of doing. Yeah. And when I just think, when I just do a quick mental check, I think there are so few nurses who are in uh, CEO positions. So I want to explore that at the tail end of our conversation. Maybe before we go there, talk a little bit around how you ascended. So what were some of the steps from that frontline nurse to where you sit now? Talk to us a little bit about the twists and turns along that career path journey. Yeah. So multiple twists and turns, as you can imagine. I think one of the one of the key pieces of this whole thing, my career at least, was my own willingness to take risks or to try something new. And I am certainly one of those people who really enjoys learning. I consider myself a continuous learner. And I, I was always interested in learning more, in doing more, in getting deeper into certain topics. And so as I went through my clinical career and then moved into a leadership role as a nurse manager, I think I was probably seen as one of those people who likes to learn, who likes to try new things. And so that willingness to try things, to take risks, I think was really pivotal in my journey as a leader. A couple of other things I would mention around early forces shaping my own career were just, I, I really took 
uh, I think, a risk moving from uh, an area that I knew, which was oncology, to a different kind of leadership role, which was hospital and ambulatory settings, emergency department. So willing to make that jump. And then the second thing was really mentors and sponsors who pushed me forward, who gave me stretch opportunities, who saw something in me that maybe I didn't see in myself. So those were really pivotal forces in my career. So let's pause on that mentorship and sponsorship concept. And I think there's a distinction between the two. Can you elaborate on that? How how have sponsors in particular shown up for you across your career? Yeah, I've been very lucky in my career to have a number of especially strong women leaders who were willing to sponsor me in a couple of different organizations that I was in. And I see the difference there as being a sponsor being someone who will really put themselves out there for you, who will advocate for you to try different roles in an organization, or even to kind of push you forward on something that you might not have tried yourself. And luckily for me, I had some of those sponsors and they made all the difference, both in helping me gain confidence in what I could do as a leader, but in sort of giving me those opportunities in venues and in front of individual senior leaders that I might not have otherwise had. I, I love that. I talk about that, that latter concept of, you know, pushing you forward, even when you may not have seen that potential yourself It's the power of the nudge, you know, well-timed prompts from people who see your gifts and just encourage you to step out of your comfort zone. And I, I think a lot about, you know, how do I continue to do that for people around me, as I'm sure you do as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. So important. So you joined WellSpan Health in January of 2019. Maybe for those that may be less familiar with the organization, can you describe WellSpan Broadbrush? Sure. Yes. WellSpan Health is an integrated delivery system in South Central Pennsylvania. We serve eight different counties because we also serve a little bit of Northern Maryland, about 20,000 employees, almost 2,000 employed providers now, 220 locations, eight hospitals. So um, growing organization, a larger organization, and exciting for us, our current strategy and vision is to really reimagine healthcare through the delivery of value-based care. And so with that strategy, we have a, a position of APP provider network of 2,600 providers helping us provide the best quality and safety of the best care in our region. And we have about 200,000 patients and members in our health plan products and risk arrangements now. So it's, it's an exciting time for us. As you know, we've all been dealing with the pandemic, but we, we've been growing and we've been evolving uh, to become more of a platform and to be more of a, um, a health resource, I guess, for all of the people in our communities. Excellent. I know that uh, a big part of your, your roots, you know, maybe starting from your, your nursing career, is around care delivery at the core and patient experience. And a part of that has really been just having line of sight into reimagining the patient experience as a key strategic imperative for the organization. How have you thought about bringing that to life to your team members? Well, we're doing lots of work on that in our innovation center right now, Renee. So uh, we, we sort of see experience and access as two sides of the same coin. And, uh, you know, part of our brand promise here at Wellspan is that we're going to differentiate ourselves on experience and access, which is really imperative for growth, as you know. So using more innovative methods and technologies, really looking at our consumer research and segmentation and looking at the patient experience from the consumer's point of view is something that we've been really deep into, kind of that relentless pursuit of the consumer and their experience. So we, we think that's really relevant for the future health systems of tomorrow. And Again, we think we can differentiate from our competitors on those, those aspects. 
I love that relentless pursuit of of consumer. Say that one more time for me. Relentless pursuit. Yeah, of consumer uh, both experience and access from the consumer point of view. So I sometimes think what consumers see as access and experience are maybe a bit different than what healthcare professionals see mm. as patient experience and access. And we can see it from our own point of view, but I think it really requires us to work deeply with consumers to totally understand that from their perspective. That's right. So part of that is certainly the four walls of the organization of the of the health system. But I know that you've also been thinking about that through the lens of well-spanned hospital at home. Was that was the initial prompt for that just response to manage through the pandemic? You know, it, we had been talking about it just before the pandemic, Renee, and we were starting to put some pieces in place. And then, of course, the pandemic really accelerated our work there because, you know, we want to provide the right care at the right place at the right time. That's part of our value-based promise. But really making sure that the home as the place for care is convenient and cost-effective was sort of an imperative to free up hospital beds, really, during the pandemic. And so we've, we've seen over 800 patients now in our hospital at home program. We have all kinds of different, you know, technology, including remote monitoring and video visits, which assist us with that care. But it has been a fantastic success here. Not only has it helped us with the pandemic, but it has provided an experience for our patients and consumers here in South Central Pennsylvania that they absolutely love. I mean, who wouldn't rather be home in their own bed receiving care if they had pneumonia than to be in a hospital? Agree. I was going to ask you, as, as you sort of prioritized where to apply that, that way of delivering care, it's, you, you mentioned pneumonia. What are some other examples of where that's been pretty well received? Yeah, certainly, like I said, pneumonia and things like asthma and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, heart failure. Those are some of the most common diagnoses that we see in our hospital at home program. It's fantastic. So another place where I feel like you as an organization has, have really leaned into is just the way that you think about technology to reimagine the patient experience. And maybe in some ways, too, that the caregiver provider experience Talk a bit about just how you've approached that. Yeah, I think, you know, we are so fortunate here at WellSpan that our chief information officer is also a physician, a practicing physician. And his ability to think through the care pathway and the actual experience of the patient and how technology, people, and process can impact that is really amazing. It's it's definitely a talent that he has. And not everyone can think about how do I do my work differently or how do I use technology to enhance my work. So some of the things that we've done here are certainly in our imaging area where we are using something called ADOC, which is artificial intelligence. It actually reads scans, but also prioritizes scans for the radiologist quickly. So when you come in as a radiologist to do your reads, you're seeing a list of scans that the ADOC program has said, hey, these are the scans you should look at first. So instead of having 30 scans in front of you, you've got a really a prioritized list, which has been fantastic. And the ADAC, ADAC program has actually picked up some things that our radiologists didn't pick up. So that has been incredibly important too and has impacted patient outcomes. So that's one way we've used technology. Another way is actually voice recognition software, Dragon Ambient Experience, which is a product from Nuance that we are using with our primary care physicians it's an incredible voice-activated technology that really listens to the office visit, 
allows the physician and the patient to talk to each other in real time and really pay attention to each other. It creates the options for our physicians to not be on the computer while they're interacting with the patient. And then as they come out of the room, they just hit the stop button. And within an hour or so, they have a, a written note that is really, truly as good as anything that they could have done themselves if they had been typing on a computer. We actually have cut documentation time for our providers by almost 50%. And over 80% of our providers and patients have said that it improved the overall care experience tremendously, where patients are feeling like the physician's really paying attention to me. And physicians are feeling like, oh my gosh, I can really pay attention to the patient. I don't have to be on the computer. So we're expanding that voice recognition technology across our entire primary care network this year. And we're so excited about what that can do for both the patient experience, but also for provider burnout. Yeah, I, I love that example because I, I think a lot of times to unlock the patient experience, it does come down to it's an inside out job in some ways, right? Like you've got to start with your caregivers, find ways to free them up, give them capacity to 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 go back to finding joy and meaning in work. And I think these two examples that you mentioned are are, are really good examples of that. Do you find, and how have you found, is there typically any initial work to be done to get buy-in for frontline clinical staff or how have you approached that? Yeah, well, we did a pilot for about a year or so with around a hundred of our providers, Renee, and we used the learnings from that, that pilot to help us with a specific training and then with at the elbow support for our providers as they move into the DAX uh, software. And that has been, that has worked really, really well. There have been only a few of our physicians, not many, who have just found it too difficult to change their workflows, you know, because certainly, you know, technology does involve sometimes changing our workflows or trying to enhance our workflows. But for the most part, over 95% of our providers have figured out how to use the software and, and really believe that it adds value to their practice. So let's then just maybe carrying on from there. I'm, I'm just struck by, as I'm talking to your colleagues across the country, this notion of how do we think about building external partnerships in a way that allow us to sort of leverage and capacity extend ourselves. And so Maybe just your reflections on how you've thought about partnership, what makes for a good partner just broadly and, 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 and not just specific to imaging and voice recognition software, but just generally, how have you thought about partnership as a key part of achieving that, the strategy of the organization? Yeah, well, I think all of us in healthcare realize that things are changing rapidly and we need to consider what things will be our core business and that we can really be good at and what things do we need to have a partner that can really enhance that strategy. So we think about partnerships really broadly on whether they A, align with our values, our mission and vision for the organization, and whether they help bring new capabilities to the table that can help us bring those big ideas to life. And so some of those partnerships include things like within our innovation structure, partnerships like the DAX example that I just gave, where they certainly have an aligned mission to assist providers with uh, improving both documentation, but decreasing the administrative work for physicians. And so I think when we have those kinds of partnerships that A, align with our values, and B, help us solve a problem and, and bring new capabilities to the table, we can get the very best of what we need and what we can uniquely do for our patients. And let me ask that question as, as you think about how your organization can also be a good partner. 
how have you thought about sort of building that partnership mindset DNA into to from from a from a wellspan perspective? Yeah, that's really a great question. Well, one of the things we've thought about is, you know, if we're expecting partners to align with our values, what are their values and how do we align with those? And then as we're using technologies like DAX or like ABAC, are we able to help or assist those companies with developing their product, with enhancing workflows, with understanding how it actually works in a health system? And we've done that with a number of companies now across WellSpan where we've found value in their products and in the things that they can do for our patients. But I think that we've also helped them work out the bugs on their products and also enhanced their ability to communicate to others how the value proposition for their their software or their digital technology. I love that. And and just, you know, one of the things that I've been encouraged by is I I'd span across the folks that I chat with is one of the byproducts of, of the pandemic response for providers has been this command center-like mentality where, where things used to take, you know, what, what may have taken years is down to months. And I, I'm seeing that play out in just the ease of decision-making and how uh, providers are trying to move more quickly. And I think some of what you're talking about goes to that ethic of can we move faster in parallel to get things done more quickly? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's anything like a pandemic to help you be more agile and flexible. Indeed, indeed. I want to change gears a bit. So we noted at the start of our conversation that your background is in nursing. And I get at the pleasure of meeting with so many fabulous nurse executives across healthcare. What's what's striking to me is that 76% of our healthcare workforce are female. 87% of nurses are also female. But women represent just about 50% of CEOs. And so the question when I'm sitting in these rooms with fabulous nurse leaders is why are we not seeing more CEOs who come from a nursing background? Oh, that's a great question. Well, (laughs) as you noted, Brene, you know, only 15% of our industry uh, CEOs are nurses. And I think there's probably a variety of reasons for that. You know, one of those is that females don't make up very, a very large percentage of CEOs. So there, there is a gender piece to that. But I also believe that, you know, when you think about how clinical people are trained, our training process and our education doesn't really set us up for the expectation that, hey, you could lead an entire health system in the future. It's really setting us up to care for patients and families in the best possible way, either in a hospital, in a clinic setting, in research, in home care. So uh, I think it's a little bit the training too, because if you think about how folks who go to an MHA program or an MBA program, think about what role they'll take after graduating from school. They, they really do have kind of, I think, more of an expectation that they'll be in leadership or that they'll be leading in some way in a health system. So I think there's a bit of that, that framework too that really hasn't been there in healthcare clinical programs. I think that's right. Uh, I, I also, I wonder, you know, as, as you sort of think about how your clinical background shows up in your day-to-day health system leadership, just talk more about that a bit. Yeah, well, I, I think I'm constantly using my clinical background, even sometimes without realizing it. You know, I have this sort of understanding of what patients experience, what that therapeutic relationship is like with a healthcare professional, what quality and safety looks like on the front line, that probably some of my business counterparts don't have that same perspective or that same lens that they can look through. 
And I think those lenses greatly affect how I look at everything from both the financial performance of the organization to the productivity, to the skill sets that we need in the future, to career development. So that I would say that it's just a constant kind of lens that I use. And as I said, sometimes maybe without even realizing it to, to make decisions. I, I agree with that. I also just note that I think nursing right now is sort of in some ways feeling like they have more of a seat at the table. And it, it's probably driven by how challenging the workforce challenges have been, both in you know staffing and, and trying to manage labor expense. The fact that I think it's somewhat, you, you know this better than me, but 60% of the total uh, cost of running a health system is in labor and nursing is such a big part of that. So I am seeing this this shift in sort of mindset and also just elevation of the chief physician, sorry, the chief nurse executive position. And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out across the next couple of years, especially there's certainly a ge- generational shift happening among health system CEO roles. And so it'll be, I'm watching with, with an, an open mind to sort of see how that plays out. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's going to be really fascinating as well. And I think what we've seen over the last 10 or 15 years is that there are more and more clinical people, both physicians and nurses and others moving into health system leadership roles. And certainly that fits so well for us at WellSpan with our value-based philosophy, because we're really looking at the triple aim in terms of what we'd like to try and accomplish. So I agree too that I think there'll be more and more clinical people that continue to surface and and lead health systems into the future. I agree. So then maybe just zooming out a bit, and as you think through the developing next next generation leaders within your own team, what are some ways that you think about building those pathways to executive leadership? Yeah, well, that's a really great question. I think we're actually redesigning right now and taking a step back with the workforce shortage to sort of examine, have our old approaches been enough? Are we thinking through all the complexities of what we are going to be facing in the future? And so we have a number of ways that we are building pathways to executive leadership for people within our organization, but then also trying to entice people to come to our organization. One is our leadership academies that we have for nurses, physicians, and high potential leaders. And we have a special tract there for minority leaders as well. That leadership academy is something where we really are examining and assessing people to identify whether they are high potential, is competitive to get in. And, but then it is an 18-month program that where people really have an opportunity to both shadow and develop a, their own career path within Wildspan. It's, it's a really neat program, and we also monitor metrics on that program so that we can identify, did those people actually go on to become leaders in Wellspan? What happened to them, you know, one, two, three years down the road? How can we continually improve that program? So that's one of the ways, along with, of course, an entire organizational learning and development program where there's all kinds of career pathways and classes and courses that people can take here to advance. We also have formal mentorship programs and coaching programs to help people move toward their career goal. It's been interesting, uh, you know, on that front, and and we're spending some time on this in our our CEO programming plan for July. But this concept of, I think, the way that the workforce imagines their compact with their employers has shifted, and this concept of, you know, we'll talk more about this, but you know, am I net better off in the place that I'm working, and 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 how? As employers, we need to continually think through really what motivates and drives loyalty to the work. And I think 
you're on to something in terms of the investment, feeling seen, feeling recognized, the investment in career paths can be a really important way for people to feel like they are really willing to spend a five, 10 plus year career path at one place. It's interesting to see how all those shifts are happening. Yeah, it, it has been, as you know, Renee, a really particularly challenging time. And I also think it's an opportunity for us to step up our game too. Great. So Roxanne, my final question that I ask all of my guests is the following. If you could invite two people to a table that you, that you curate, which two people would you invite and why? Well, this was a, this was a fun one to think about, Renee. So the first person I would invite was Florence Nightingale. Because I think she was really a keen observer. She was also a scientist. And I can't think of anyone better during a pandemic to really be thinking about generating hypotheses, testing them. She was a leader. She wasn't afraid to bring her ideas forward, even when they were almost unknown or really not thought to be something that should be brought forward by a nurse. So I appreciated her courage and and also her scientific thinking. So She would be one. The second I I think about is Clayton Christensen and his theory of disruptive innovation. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's never been more relevant than today for healthcare. And not even necessarily those breakthrough innovations, but rather thinking about innovation the way he did, which is that products need to be accessible and affordable to a large population of people in order for them to be successful. So I love Clayton. I love his theories. And I think, you know, he's definitely one of the role models for innovation. Indeed. That's a great place to land. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. I've enjoyed our chat. Thank you, Renee. was delighted to be here. Thank you. Thanks again for joining me at The Table. The Table is a podcast produced by the Health Management Academy. Make sure you catch future episodes by visiting our website, theacademytable.com, or by subscribing on the podcast platform of your choice. And if you have suggestions for topics or guests, I'd love to hear from you. Please drop me a note at Renee at hmacademy.com. I look forward to talking with you soon.